Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> we should, Lord willing, finish 2 Corinthians this morning. Uh, if you remember, we left off of chapter 12, about verse 11 last time. So that's where we'll be picking things up this morning. And as we take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning, be, uh, be reminded what's going on for Paul is is uh, he has really opened his heart in this second letter to the church of Corinth. First letter, pretty harsh, laying out, you know, the, the cold hard facts. Here's how things ought to be. This is how things ought to run. But now, as we kind of step back, he's, he's written this letter with an attitude of a father to his children. Now, we all know when fathers speak to their children, sometimes we have to be stern. We can't always just say it nice like mom does. Or things don't happen all the time. Sometimes we can. But the heart of a father isn't any different. The heart of the father is that his children would know that he loves them. He cares about them. That he wants them to, to succeed. That he, he wants them to make it. And for Paul, how much more? When what he's talking about is not just someone's life, but, but someone's eternal security. Where they're going to spend eternity. And whenever I think about that, it, it radically changes my viewpoint toward my children and toward the things that are going on in their life. When I start thinking of where are they going to spend eternity, because my kids don't get to enter into heaven based on my relationship with the Lord. My children have to have their relationship. They've got to know God. And God lays it upon the Father, men, that that's the, the headship He has placed on us. To, to train up our children, to guide them in the truth. More often than not, and, and certainly was true in, uh, in my relationship with my children as their father, was their mother was the spiritual head for a majority of, of uh, their growing up, especially in the younger days, because I was a knucklehead. That's how it works sometimes. But when I, when I came to the Lord, when I come to understand what it was that God required of me then then i've got to take that headship and i've got it's it's that it's that burden i guess that comes to me more often than anything else at night when all the lights go out that burden that says how are my kids doing and one of my kids is and you guys all experience this too i have i have a son in california i have two sons here i got grandbabies you know our grandbaby And so we're, we're, you know, so it's, a, it's that concern for our kids. When we look at this letter of 2 Corinthians, sometimes we can see Paul and he's kind of being harsh and we lose sight of the fact that this is a dad talking to his kids and say, come on guys, man, this, this really matters, this stuff. I mean, this, this is, everything hinges on this. So as we take a look at what Paul has to say, keep that in mind. In verse 11 he says, Now I become a fool in boasting, and you have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Here's what he's saying. Remember last time, there were these guys who went around, they're literally called super apostles. They called themselves the super apostles. Hey, woo, we're great. They had all these letters of commendation from man saying how great they were. I'm sure they had several degrees hanging on their wall. They had all the stuff that, that they might uh, need as far as mankind goes. 
And what they did is, when they came to Corinth, that's all fine and good. When they came to Corinth, they ran Paul down. They said, oh, yeah, but he don't have all these letters. He doesn't have all these degrees. Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about. And Paul, like a father to his kids, is saying, you guys didn't have my back. I mean, these guys came in here and they said all these things about me, and, and you're just okay with that. You just, you just let it go. So in chapter 12, Paul lays out, here's my credentials. We talked about that last week. It's not, what are you willing to get for ministry? It is, what are you willing to give? And that's what Paul's credentials were, the things he was willing to give, what he was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Not how easy was his life going to be. And now he says, listen, I'm kind of leaving that. I I don't want to get wrapped up in talking about those things because he'd rather talk about the Lord than credentials. But he's saying, listen, I was hoping that my kids would have my back. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Remember the big grief that they had with Paul was he never charged them. And that whole concept of you get what you pay for. It's not always true. Especially in things regarding spiritual. I shared with you, I think, before when I was in charge of a, a, a youth ministry, we brought in this huge name band, and it was the biggest pain in the neck of my life. We paid a bunch of money to have these guys come out, and they were horrible. Now, they did great. The music was exactly what you'd listen to on the CD, their attitude was terrible. I had other bands, I I hardly paid anything, that came in and gave glory to the Lord and really pointed, shined the light on Jesus Christ. And for them coming to my youth group, that's what it was supposed to be about, not selling CDs, but making that representation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, listen guys, I came to you, I didn't want to be a burden to you. I wanted to just come along and, and, and serve the Lord and God was providing my needs. But they were upset because they hadn't been charged. And they thought, well, if Paul didn't charge us, it must not be worth anything. And the scripture goes on. He says, now, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. Paul says, listen, I'm not, it's not about the money, guys. I'm not coming for your money. I'm coming for you. I'm coming because I care about you. I know when Kathy and I, we go, uh, when we go to California and we visit our oldest son, before we come, we raid our own freezer and we grab a bunch of stuff, whatever meat or things we might be able to bring, whatever food we can take. Not because I don't want my son to, or I don't think my son can take care of me, but I don't want to be a burden. I want to show up and be a blessing. And I'm not going to see my son because I want to see what my son can give me. I'm going to see my son because I'm looking for him. I want to spend time with him. Not worrying about all this other stuff. That's how Paul was taken to this church. Man, I want to come spend time with you guys. I I don't want to worry about money or have you worry about whether or not you can support me. Don't worry about it, man. I'm not coming for what's yours. I'm coming for you. To, To be a blessing to you. Not to be a burden to you. And he goes on to say, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents the parents for the children so again he's bringing that attitude this is my heart like a father to his kids 
A father to his kids. Say, I don't, I don't want you guys to have to, to care for me. I'm going to be okay. Let me come and minister to you. But it is also a statement that says, you are not yet mature. Because there were other churches that Paul did take support from. Why not Corinth? Because Corinth was not yet able. They didn't yet understand it. They weren't in a place where they had grown to the ability to, to be able to, to take on that, that concept. And so Paul would tell them, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He wants them to grow. He wants them to mature. And that's a father's heart to his, to his church. Guys, they, they, I want you to grow. I want you to learn. I want you to know I want you to know all this stuff. I want you to, to understand all these things. But for now, you're not there yet. So like a father to his kids, I'm going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. But you know, when we, watch our, when we watch our kids grow, we don't want to feed them with a spoon forever, right? We don't want to change diapers forever. But let me also tell you this. When you have to, you don't resent it. You just do it. The Lord lays upon you or in your family uh, perhaps a special needs child and there are certain things you didn't think you're going to have to do forever. But you do. You don't resent it. You love them. You just do it. That's where Paul's at. He's not resenting what's going on. He's just saying, hey guys, this is where we're at. This is the level of growth. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to work it all out. And he says then in verse 15, for I will very gladly spend... And be spent for your souls. Man, it's an incredible statement that he makes there. No limit of the expendability. He says, hey, I'm not burnt out. I'm not upset. I'm not frustrated. I will gladly be spent for you. Isn't that a heart of a father? I remember when Joe, who's in junior high now, he, I think he was nine before we got him out of diapers. Eight. Eight, when we got him out of diapers, which was not super excited about changing diapers for anyone, was much less excited about an eight-year-old changing diapers. But nonetheless, while we were going through that, it was not a burden. It was a drag, but it wasn't a burden. Why? Because I love my son. And if I have to do it again, I do it again. And if the day comes somewhere down the line where I have to do that for my mother or father, or I have to do that for my family, we do that because we love. That's a sign of love, not in word only, but in deed also. So he says, hey, I'm, this is a heart of love from Paul. He says, listen, guys, I would very gladly spend. He's not bent over it. He's not bummed about it. He'd like to see him grow beyond it. But listen, I'm glad to come. I'm glad to be spent. And it's such a blessing when you find yourself in the ministry that God has for you. In that spot within the body of Christ for which you were created. For which God has ordained that, hey, this is, this is your fit within the body of Christ. And when you find that fit in the body of Christ, you should be able to say the same thing. I would gladly be spent. This is what I do. Not necessarily longing for something that other people might see as greater or lesser, but this is my spot, man. This is what I do. We don't like it if our heart beating within us was to say, you know, I'm tired of this beating stuff. I've had it. I'm kind of burnt out. 
every morning I wake up, I got a beat. Every night they go to bed, I got a beat. Beat, 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 beat. I'm just going to stop. What happens? Well, the body doesn't live anymore, does it? Folks, it's not any different in the body of Christ. There are constantly within the body of Christ needs. Needs within the church. Ministries for which we are created to fill. That there is someone, a part of the body, that this is my niche. This is my place. This is where I fit. This is my opportunity to serve. And when we find it, like Paul, we'll say, I'm glad to be spent. I'm glad to be a part of this because this is what I'm here for, to serve God, to be a part of of what God has, what God wants to do in our life. He goes on and says then, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. It seemed to Paul, the more he reached out to the church of Corinth, the more they kind of backed away from him. Now, how many of you have raised teenagers? And you know exactly what he's talking about. Because there are times the the harder you reach out to your kids, the more they back up. I mean, they're they're trying to spread their wings. It's a natural progression in life. But I can understand what Paul's saying. The more I try to reach out, the more I try to love, it seems like the less I am loved. But what did he say before that? Nevertheless, I am glad to be spent. I am glad to do it. Because that's the Father's heart. Glad to to raise his children and to guide. But be that as it may, in verse 16, he says, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Listen, this was one of the accusations that the super apostles said. They said, yeah, I know Paul doesn't take any money, but you know, he's, he's taking an offering to Jerusalem. And really, he's just using that for himself. So Paul, Paul is, is pleading the case. Guys, you know my heart. You know this isn't what I'm about. Did I take advantage of you by any of those that I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? The same accusations weren't made about Titus. Why? Because Titus was little on the scheme. Super apostles weren't aiming at him. Super apostles were aiming at the big guy. So as they're taking their pot shots at Paul, Paul says, listen, they're not saying anything about Titus. Weren't Titus and I serving together? I mean, if he didn't, I didn't. We're not robbing from you. We're not stealing you. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see, like Paul said in the book of of Acts, when he left the church at Ephesus, hey, when I leave, what will happen? Savage wolves will come. People not sparing the flock, dividing the children, dividing them against the parent and so we see the same thing happening with paul but listen he says in verse 19 and again do you think that we excuse ourselves to you we speak before god in christ but we do all things beloved for your edification paul says listen i'm not making an excuse i'm speaking the truth before god god knows and i'm not trying to just to make you happy i'm trying to please the lord why do we serve why do we do the things we do? Think about Paul. Doesn't he have something to gripe about? I mean, he founded the church at Corinth. He spent a year and a half there, got it established, got it going, turned it over to somebody, went on his missionary journey, founding churches and other places, got word there were some problems in Corinth, wrote a letter to, to try to straighten those things out, got word back that that letter hadn't been received very well, so he makes a painful visit where he goes up, calls some guys on the carpet about some of the things that they're doing wrong, 
Then, again, now he's ready to go again for the third time. It seems like those people who at one time served with him are all bitter. They're angry. They're making accusations about him. And he could say, you know, I'm not really being appreciated here in Corinth. Hang you guys. You know, sometimes people do that in church, right? You know, I come to that church every day. I'd show up early and sweep that sidewalk out in front of the church and make sure that everything was neat and tidy. And do you know that not one time anybody ever come and thank me for that? You know, just forget about it. Isn't that the same thing? Who are you serving? Was, was Paul serving Corinth? In a way. But who was he doing it for? The Lord. For God. So whatever that meant, as he's serving, he's saying, listen, as a, I'm serving the Lord. It's for him. It's, it's between me and him. That means one day Paul's going to stand before God and all the things he ever did will pass through the fire. The eyes of the flame of fire, Revelation chapter 1 says, of Jesus Christ, as he looks at the actions of Paul. And those things that were done of selfish ambition will burn away. But whatever he did for the Lord will be his reward. What is the reason? What is the ultimate goal behind our serving? Paul says, listen, we're not, we're not excusing ourselves to you. We speak before God and Christ. My goal is serving the Lord. The Lord knows, and also the Lord knows that he was calling Paul to do something specific. How many of you know that what you tolerate, you encourage? What you tolerate, you encourage. First thing I learned on the football field, sitting talking to my kids. If I let the kids on a team do something that I thought, no, that's not so good, but I don't want to be on their case all the time. It's the same thing as me giving my stamp of approval for that action. What you tolerate, you encourage. And so, same thing with Paul. He He wants to, like a father to his kids, this is not okay, but the reason I'm doing this is not for my kids to love me, but for me to do what I'm called to do before God and be pleasing unto him. That's his goal. That's his purpose. That's the point that he's making, the point that he has. And he says in verse 20, listen, but before I go there, listen, look what he says right after that. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. My goal is to build you up, not tear you down. I'm not trying to say bad things all the time just because I'm ripping you off. I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to build you up. But, but how many of you know you can't fill, you can't fill a cup that's already full? You ever try to teach somebody something when they know everything? There's no room. So Paul is trying to empty the cup. Hey, fellas, your cup's full of a bunch of junk. You need to get that out. And that, let's pour in the truth. Let's pour in the reality. He says, For I fear lest when I come, I will not find you such as I wish, but that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. She's says, I'm afraid when I come, I'm going to find you guys in a bad way, and then you're going to find me in a bad way. Right? It's like that uh, whole thing that you hear sometimes from mama when you was a kid, wait till your father gets home. Paul, Paul's saying, I don't want to come and be the dad who's got to deliver all the whoopings. Now, I'll do it if I have to. That was always a drag for me. I'd be out working all day, running a crew, painting freeways. I'd come home, walk in the door. No, no, hi, Daddy. Oh, I love you kids dancing like they do in the movies. Not in that. i come walking in the house, and I hear screaming and hollering, and this, this is broken, that's busted, and this kid needs a beating, and that one needs talk to. And, man, 
It's a drag. But listen, what is it that, that Paul says? I'll do it if I have to, but that's not my heart. I don't want to come for that. I don't want to, I don't want to find you with these things. Look what he says. He says, listen, for many... <clears throat> Right, let, me, let me back up. For I will be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whispering, conceits, tumults. You know, it's that chaos at home. But lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I will mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented. See, that's his goal. Paul's goal is not perfection. His goal is repentance. I don't expect anybody to be perfect. But if we continually excuse our bad behavior and we never repent from it, you're not dealing with the sin. Paul says, hey, if I come and it's got to be that way, then, then we're going to deal with it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to work our way through it. But you need to repent of the uncleanness, the fornication, the lewdness, which they have practiced. Listen, in Corinth, they, they built a Greek word about the Corinthians. It's kind of like the same thing with Vegas. What do people call Vegas? Sin City. What do they say? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Some people say, hey, I'm going to Vegas. Oh, be careful. Be good. It was the same thing in Corinth. Corinth was a place of, of lewdness. That means crude joking, playing around. It was a place of fornication. That's any sex outside of marriage. It was a place where people practiced these things. And here is this church in the midst. And Paul says, you should be a light to the world, not the other way around. The world is, is conforming you into its image. But you should be transformed into the image of Christ. And so Paul was saying, hey, if I got to come deal with this, we're going to deal with it. We'll take care of it. For this will be the third time I'm coming to you. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Hey, listen, here's what he's saying. I, I will come and we're going to deal with the problems. Dad's coming and he's going to take care of, of the problems. By the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses means he's going to follow the examples laid out for us in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, in case you don't know, says this. If you have a problem with a brother, you go talk to the brother alone and deal with it. Most of us blow it on that first step. We think go talk to some other brother and tell him about what this other brother did. And then after we talked about what that other brother did and he agrees with us that we're right, then maybe we'll want to go talk to that brother. That's not what it says. It says you go talk, deal with the one with whom you have a problem alone. Talk about it. Work it out so that you'll gain a brother. But if he won't receive it, then bring along two one or two others with you that, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, it would be confirmed. And if he still won't receive that, then bring it before the church. And if he still doesn't want to hear it, treat him as an unbeliever. Ooh. Oh, wait a minute. How is it that Christians treat unbelievers again? Yeah, we're supposed to reach out to them with the love of Christ. That means don't assume that's a brother. If you're dealing with a brother who cannot be turned, cannot be changed, stop treating him like he's a brother. But realize he's not acting like a brother. He may not be saved. Man, you need to reach out to him for salvation. That's what he means when he says treat him as an unbeliever. He's one who's lost, man. He needs to know 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says he will come and he'll judge these things. For I have told you before and foretell, as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and all the rest. I will come and I will not spare. So I'm coming. And when I come, I want you to know this is like mom called dad. Dad answers the phone. Oh, you won't believe it. Would you talk to your son? I'll talk. put him on the phone. Son, I am coming home. And if you are not being good, there is something to pay. That's what Paul's saying. Guys, I'm coming. I don't, this is not my heart. I want to walk in and see dancing and playing and have a good time. But if we got to deal with stuff, we'll deal with stuff. I'm not going to hide from the things that need to be confronted, the things that need to be dealt with. And so that's his heart. That's what he wants to do. Hey, I will not spare. I'm coming. And since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you but mighty in you, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. There's two points he's making here. One is, I know you guys, you, you don't really appreciate the gentleness and the meekness that people come in. But listen, that's how Christ came. Gentle and meek. Once. The second time, he doesn't come that way. He comes with the power of God. The other thing he lays out for us in this verse is, if you want to experience power to live your life in Christ, it is found submitting yourself wholly and completely unto the Lord. Just like Jesus did. He came in weakness. He submitted his life to the Father's hands in every way. And he had the power of God within him. And then Paul goes on to say the same thing. Listen, even as we are weak in him, but we will live with him by the power of God toward you. I'm going to come totally submitted, committed to the Lord. What God has me do, that's what I'm going to do. I want to I lean in, press into him. I want to be a part of where God's leading and directing. And as I do that, I'm going to have the power to live the life I need to live. Anybody ever struggle with, with living the life that, that God's calling us to live, to be the person God's calling us to be? We've got to learn to submit. We've got to learn to come to the Lord in weakness and allow God to move in us with the strength, the strength that comes from a life lived in submission to Him. Totally, completely given over. And then in verse 5, listen, he says, So examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Paul's been dealing with these problems. Remember I told you about Matthew chapter 18. What did it say? If you're trying to work out things with a brother, but man, he's just resistant. He's not dealing with you. He's not dealing with two or three. He's not dealing with the church. Maybe he's not a believer. So then Paul, looking back, says, listen, examine yourselves. Whether or not you're in Christ. Folks, we don't become a Christian because we're born in the United States of America. Doesn't have anything to do with it. In fact, we're not a Christian because we go to a Christian church. Or we come and worship. Or we raise hands and sing a song on a Sunday morning. None of those things make us a Christian. He says, listen, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. 
Test yourself. Test yourself. I love John. Remember I told you John? John reminds me of an old, old biker, the Apostle John. Because when he came to Jesus, before he became the, the Apostle of Love, he was a son of thunder. That sounds like a great motorcycle gang to me. Sons of thunder. And he would come to the Lord and say, Lord, those people didn't believe us. Should we call for fire from heaven and smoke them? Doesn't that sound like... I just see an old biker doing that. It's leather jacket. And the Lord says, John, you don't yet know what spirit you are. But as John grew in maturity with the Lord, he becomes the apostle of love. That's not the same guy anymore. It's not the same kind of person. Isn't that the way that God works in our life? Do we stay the same when we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Or do we change? Do we, come, do we become something more? Something more than what we were? So John, he writes an epistle. The epistle of 1 John. I'm going to take you through just a brief tour of the epistle of 1 John. But let me tell you the purpose behind its being written. So that you know you're saved. That's why John wrote it. So that you would know that you're who you say you are in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. So the first thing he says when he says, test yourselves whether or not you're of the faith, he says, do you keep his commandments? Do you keep his commandments? Obedience is that first test. Now when we, take, when we delve into the Greek, we want to understand that because, hey, I'm not perfect. I, I blow it. I, I haven't kept every commandment that the Lord gives. What is he saying? What is he really laying out for us here? He's saying, is your, in your heart, do you agree with the Lord in His commandments? Do you agree? Lord, this is true. This is right. When the Lord says, no sex outside of marriage. You agree? You agree with the idea of marriage? No, you know, it's alright. You know, the, the Bible, it's okay. If I want to live together, you know, we've lived together for like 20 years. So, you know... It's all good, right? Well, I don't know. Do you agree with what God says? God says the husband and wife ought to be married. The whole marriage ceremony was, was given to us by the Lord. It's his ceremony. That's why the state doesn't have a right to say what marriage is or isn't. It happened in the church. Separation from church and state. Get off me. <laughs> I love it when they can throw it around the other way. And then when you throw it back, it's, oh, uh, huh? Yeah, whatever. They're knuckleheads anyhow. But anyways, <clears throat> do we agree? Do we agree? Because the evidence of our faith is going to be obedience. In verse 9, he says, Now he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness to now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Do you love your brother? Do you love your brother? You, the scripture lays out for us that, that we're to love our brother. In uh, verse 15 of the same chapter, he says, Now do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you love the world? Are you chasing the world that just grab a hold of all the life it has by the throat and shake it all out of it? Is that your goal in life, to get all you can from the world? The, the Lord says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. 
Examine yourself. Verse 23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. It's interesting, when you go to Israel with me in about a year and a couple of months, we go up on the Temple Mount, hopefully, perhaps they'll have the, uh, the opportunity for us to go into the Dome of the Rock. Inside the Dome of the Rock, written in Arabic, is God does not beget, nor is He begotten. It talks about the fact that He has no Son. There is no Son. There is only one. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. And John said, if you throw out the Son, you don't have the Father either. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Verse 28, Now little children abide in Him. And when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. Man, He's saying press into the Lord. Be as close to Jesus as you can be. Examine yourself. Examine yourself whether or not you are in the faith. And you know, in verse 5 of chapter 3, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. Therefore, whoever abides in Him does not sin. What? Examine yourself. Again, when we do a careful understanding within the Greek, He is saying you cannot practice habitual sin and still be a believer. Doesn't mean I can't struggle. I can't falter. I can't fall. The key is in my heart, I agree with the Lord. Man, I got a lot of of men and women I consider brothers and sisters that are in recovery, dealing with different things. Sometimes that goes good. Sometimes it doesn't go so good. But you know, they all have one thing in common. They know they need Jesus Christ to help carry them through. And whether or not their performance is perfect doesn't matter. The heart says, I agree with you, Lord. This is sin. There's a whole group out there that would like to tell us that they're a race of people. And they say that God will love me the way I am. That I can live my life as a, a, a homosexual and it's, it's okay. That's not agreeing with what God's word says. Now, that's no different, folks, than me struggling with a habitual sin of stealing or someone else dealing with a habitual sin of some other type. We look at all these different sins and we think, oh, this has more, this is worse. Or, or that, usually it's somebody else's sin, by the way, that's worse. It's not usually our own. We look at all these other sins and we say, oh, this is bad, or this is bad, or this is bad. Folks, it does not mean that a man or a woman who struggles, who struggles in homosexuality and and falls and is dealing with it, but says, I agree with God that this is sin, well, that person can be a brother. But the one who says, no, man, it's all good. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And I don't care what church says they can be a pastor. It's not the same thing. It's what the Word of God lays out. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Again, the concept is he cannot habitually sin. He can't live in a lifestyle of sin saying it's okay. If he does, he's not abiding in Christ. Treat him like an unbeliever. 
For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, what's one of the keys as we examine ourselves? You love the brethren. Do you love other believers? Well, we, I know we don't all get along all the time, but we're supposed to love each other. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything, but I have to love them. I have to honestly care about them. I can't have hatred in my heart and say I'm a believer. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Examine yourself. Are these the things that mark us? Are these the things that that set us apart? Chapter 3 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. Romans 8.16 says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. As he concludes the book, this is what he says. This is a testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He says, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith. Folks, there's a whole bunch of people in church every Sunday morning who need to examine themselves and see, am I really a believer? Is this really who I am? Because it is possible to deceive yourself. It is possible to deceive yourself into thinking, well, I'm doing all these right things. How do you know you are saved? But in answering those questions, would you sound like what John wrote? That we would know that we have eternal life? Or would you sound more like, well, I'm a good person? Because it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with to whom have you submitted your life? Have you submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you give your life to Him? Is He your Lord and Savior? Is He your purpose behind the things that we do? Examine yourself. But listen, as we consider this examination that we're doing, don't forget what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Here's what Jeremiah had to say about us when we examine ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Well, that doesn't sound so good. That sounds like we may struggle while we try to examine ourselves. What's he going to tell us to do? He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Guys, there's no way around. There's no way around the concept of you tell a tree by the fruit it bears. I don't care what sign you put on the trees outside of my house. You could put orange. You could put banana. You put whatever, whatever sign you want. I know what they are. They're apple trees. How do I know they're apple trees? Well, there's not as many apples as there was once. But there's apples. On my four trees, two of them decided this year not to have any fruit at all. So, if I was just now coming to my house and I looked at those trees, I'm not really sure what they are yet. There's no fruit. But once I see fruit, 
then I know, right? Once I see apples, I know it's an apple tree. It's no different than when we examine ourselves. What is the fruit in your life? What, what, how are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit that shows, like John said, these are the things. You're going to love the brethren. You're going to obey His commandments. You're not going to live in habitual sin. You've got evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. These things are the fruit, the, the, the signs, if you will, that John talks about that you're a believer. Paul would write in Galatians chapter 5, this is the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. All of these things are the fruits that are in your life. Are these the things, when we examine ourselves as to whether or not we're in the faith, that's what we're looking for. What do we find? But also, guys, as we examine ourselves, realize that our focus is not on us. Our focus needs to be on Christ. Listen, in the psalm, the psalmist would write it in Psalm 139. Um, he lays out for us a beautiful psalm. This is what it says. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up, and you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high and I cannot attain it. So where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night will be light about me. Indeed, the darkness will not hide me from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written. The days that are fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts of me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Then as we look at verse 23, the point, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting listen when paul's talking about examine yourselves in the faith we need to take that look at ourselves where am i at really what is my relationship with the lord am i deceiving myself with where i'm at with what i am about he says to test yourself do you not know yourselves that jesus christ is in you that's a question you need to know not you need to hope it's a question that you need to know. Unless indeed you are disqualified. Here's an interesting point. That word disqualified also means counterfeit. Unless you're a pretender. There are believers and there are make-believers. 
They look good from the outside. You and I probably could never pick them out of a crowd. The only chance that we have or that they have to know who they are is to examine themselves, to stand before the Lord and say, God, you know everything about me. Search me. Show me. Lead me. Do you really think God doesn't want to reveal himself to you? Do you really think God's will for your life is some secret that he wants you to have to to burden yourself through? No, we seek the Lord. He'll reveal it. But we have to seek Him with that pureness of heart, that attitude that says, I want to know what it is that you have for me, Lord. I I want to know you. Test me. In verse 6, he says, But I trust that you will know that we are not counterfeit. Now I pray to God, you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem counterfeit these other guys are saying we're fake we're not what it's about but listen i'm telling you examine yourself see christ in you if the lord is in you if the holy spirit is upon you the bible says you have no need that anyone would teach you because the holy spirit will guide you in truth open his word test see know that it's true Know that it's true, that God is doing an incredible work. But listen, he goes on to say, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Proverbs 21 tells us that the Lord is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're not going to stop the truth. The truth is going to move forward. We aren't going to fight against the truth. We want to work for the truth. We're not trying to shut down the truth. We're trying to expose the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus Christ. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. That you might grow. That you might be established. But guys, listen. If you're not growing, if you're not applying, if we're not... Well, one of the things we've been talking about lately, we have a Warriors of the Wall outside. Warriors of the Wall. One of the things Warriors on the Wall taught me is I have 168 hours in a week before Warriors on the Wall. I didn't know that. So while you're examining yourself, look at your 168 hours of your week. And be honest. Tell me, of your 168 hours, which of those belong to the Lord? Two hours on Sunday morning? Out of 168, it's not so good. Where, where are you being made complete? I shared with you as we began, we do not grow in isolation. There's no, there could be no such thing as one Christian. There needs to be a body of Christ growing. And that growth occurs when we are together corporately. It doesn't mean you have to be together here. You can be together corporately in a number of ways. But you've got to be together with believers. There's umpteen. That's a lot. Women's studies that are available. There's men's studies. There's events. There's things going on by which we can be gathered together, edified in the body, and grow. But if you think you're just going to grow by doing a Sunday morning thing, that's not the thing. We grow based on what we're spending our time doing. Now that 168 hours, I definitely know there's six to eight hours a day that, that I waste sleeping. But I kind of like those six to eight hours. 
And then I know many of us, we got 40 hours plus that we're doing working. Well, you start whittling away at your time. But you know the beautiful thing? I can be in the middle of my work day and I can still pray without ceasing. And then that time is God's time. Right? It's all about where we put our focus. So there's things we got to do with our day, right? I, some guys work 100 hours in a week, maybe. You know, they're not sleeping at all. Their days or life is crazy. But if you're going to grow, that 100 hours of work can't all just be focused on work. Man, you gotta, you got to praise the Lord. Put in a praise tape so at least you got some... Some praise music going on in the background while you're doing whatever you're doing. And, and when you stop for lunch, pray. Make God part of your life. That's what Paul's saying to the church of Corinth. That you may become complete. Therefore I write these things. Being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority with which the Lord has given me to edify and not for destruction. Paul says, hey... I have come with the authority of God to build you up, not to tear you down. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to deal with the issues. We've got to deal with them. Now put them away. Examine yourself. Know that you're in Christ. And then become complete by plugging yourself in and making your life more than the pursuit of happiness. Make it the pursuit of God. Make it the pursuit of Him. You know the good news about that? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The world full of people that snuff out the candle of their life because as they chase that elusive happiness, they're not finding it, even though they have money, power, whatever they want. It didn't work. Why? Because man was created to pursue God, to have a relationship with Him, to know God deeper and deeper. Finally, brethren, I know you're happy to hear that. Finally, brethren, farewell. (laughs) Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Man, I really want to feel God. I really want to feel the love of God and the peace of God in my life. Were you listening to that verse? Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. How are we of one mind? Keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the love and the God of love and peace will be with you. So he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. When I was a kid, I used to point to that and tell Kathy, the Bible says we ought to kiss in church. I wasn't focusing on the holy part. Cole, you listening? (laughs) Greet. Sorry, I'll pay for that later. Greet one another with a holy kiss, something separated unto God. It's, a, it's a, the equivalent of a handshake or a hug today. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Hey, the Lord leaves us with this concept to me. You know, as I was going through the scripture and, and taking a look at what God had for us this morning, I love that whole concept of, of examining myself, where I'm really at, what I'm really about. Where, where, where am I really going? Where am I falling short? And we have opportunity to, to really make that a part of our life. That that prayer of David in Psalm 139 would be our, our prayer as well. Search me, Lord. Try me. Know me. My heart will lie to me, God, but you won't lie to me. God shows me things in my life i got to deal with all the time. I think, you know, I've almost attained to perfection. And then, and then God, you know, knocks on the door and says, Oh, brother, we have so much work to do. But he'll lay out for me those things that I've got to do. I just got to make him a part of my life. More than just the practice of showing up for church, man, it's more than that. It's a life. Given to him, submitted to God. And the power of God then moves through us. Hey, I don't have the ability to love my brother apart from the love of God being poured out of my life by the Holy Spirit. And I don't have the ability to live without sin. I, sin, let's face it, most of us, we were honest, say we like sin. The Bible says sin is great for a season, but the end of sin is death. It leads us to destruction. But because I have the Holy Spirit in my life, when I start doing those things I ought not do, man, my heart gets heavy. Man, my, my life, I'm like, oh man, okay, Lord, you're right. I shouldn't do this. So John says, man, when you, when you experience those things in your life, you know that Jesus is in you. Now be complete. Grow. We're not yet what we will be, but thank God we are not what we started as. God's not finished with us. Allow God to complete that work in you and that work in me and look forward to the day we see Him face to face. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You that we have this opportunity, Jesus, to just come before You. God, we thank You that, Father, as we... uh, As we just seek that understanding, Lord, we want to pray, even at this time, God, that you would examine our heart. Father God, if I'm a man who can live in sin and call it good and say there's nothing wrong with it, then I need to question the reality of my profession of faith. But God, if I agree with you and I struggle, that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Paul, he laid out for us that not only those who sin, but those who haven't repented. We have an opportunity to repent. We have an opportunity to agree with God. You're right, Lord. That's sin. And I struggle with it. So help me. Be my strength. May I present my body to you as a tool of righteousness to do the things that you're asking me to do rather than war against the things that you're trying to do in my life. 
So, Father, in this time, Lord God, and especially as we close in worship, God, I just pray that you would enable us to examine ourselves, where we're at, where we're going, what's going on. Is God the main thing in my life? If I step back and I make an account for my 168 hours, of that 168 hours, how many times was God a part of my thought? How many times was He a part of my day? Lord God, I want to be made complete. And I'll be made complete in You. Lord God, that You bring us to that the fullness of understanding, the fullness of being perfected in you. So God, do that work, Father. As we call your Holy Spirit uh, this morning, Lord God, to just move through us. And as we worship, Lord Jesus, we pray. If there's anybody here this morning who's, who's not sure of where they're at and they want to be sure, if there's anybody here this morning that's struggling, Father, we ask, Lord God, that they would indeed come forward for the prayer counselors come and pray with Kathy and I. We'd love to pray with them, but God, that they would not walk out of here still unsure because 10 steps out of the front door, it's not going to matter so much anymore. It's not going to be as big a deal. Oh, an hour later when, when you're in the middle of that halftime show, you won't even think about it. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day. Lord, we pray that you would move through us by your Spirit. Be glorified in this place as we seek to glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask the prayer counselors to move around the room. And as Fritz and Joni come up and, and the band comes up to close in worship, we invite you. If there's things you'd like to pray about, some issues that you're dealing with, find one of the prayer counselors. Come up front. Kathy and I will be up front as well. We'd be more than happy to pray with you. God bless you and go in peace. You know, it says, uh, as the disciples were gathered in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers were gathered and, and Saul and Barnabas were waiting to be sent out. That uh, they took this time to minister to the Lord. And I'm reminded that my praises are for Him and Him, for him alone. When the music fades, all is stripped away. Simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that would bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way that my feet. You're looking into my heart.
coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made it and it's all about you all about you King of endless word No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath We bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it and it's all about you all about you Jesus it's all about you all about you Jesus you're looking into my heart, looking into my heart. All about you, Jesus. You're looking into my heart, looking into my heart. All about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it and it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. <laughs>